It's Monday, September 2nd, Labor Day. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Americans' attitudes have shifted on what values matter most to them. Patriotism, religion, and having children are less important to young people now than young people two decades ago. One thing that hasn't changed is that most still value hard work. My producer, Victor Wright, joins us for more on Americans Changing Values. Next, we're going over some of the scientifically proven sources of sex appeal. Ben Healy, columnist at The Atlantic, looked over a wide range of studies to compile some of the interesting aspects of attraction. For instance, if you're looking for a long-term relationship, you might want to find a guy with a beard. Ben joins us to explore some of the studies on attraction. Finally, as millennials are in their prime age for getting married, more couples are veering away from traditional ceremonies and even hiring ghostwriters to write their vows. Couples are looking for customized, personal weddings and are challenged with creating ceremonies from scratch. Fleming Smith, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about why some are outsourcing their vows to outside consultants. That's news without the noise. Let's dive in. As the younger generation is shifting away from certain values such as patriotism and religion, they are shifting towards other values such as self-fulfillment, which is a big one. And some values that are still very important across the board are stuff like hard work. Joining me now is my producer, Victor Wright. Thanks for being here, Victor. Thanks for having me. It's Labor Day. Everybody's having a great time being off of work. I hope everybody enjoys their day. I wanted to take a little time to talk about a new survey from the Wall Street Journal and NBC about how Americans' values have shifted pretty dramatically on what matters most in their lives. Younger generations are rating patriotism, religion, and having children as less important to them than young people did two decades ago. There's some interesting numbers that are going on here. Victor, start us off. What what are we seeing in these new surveys? The big overall takeaway that a couple of these articles have taken is that as the younger generation is shifting away from certain values such as patriotism and religion, they are shifting towards other values such as self-fulfillment, which is a big one. And some values that are still very important across the board are stuff like hard work. That one makes me feel pretty happy, at least. I think I would hope that Americans still feel a sense that hard work is going to get you far and makes you a better person. So that one I'm happy to see there for sure. The patriotism one is very interesting. Among people that are 55 and older, nearly 80% of those said that patriotism was very important. This is compared to 42% of those that are 18 to 38. So those are millennials and the older members of Generation Z. And I feel some of that has to do with the president. You know, if you're not liking the values that the president is putting out there, then you're generally not going to feel very patriotic about the country or about certain things. So I feel like that might play into it a little bit. Well, and I think also this is the biggest state of technology that the world has ever seen, the generation that we have now. And with that comes information. So with that information comes a hindsight 2020 of certain historical events, such as slavery in the United States, such as certain wars that we've attempted to fight right. that have later gone on to say maybe we didn't have to go in there. Yeah. And so 
during that time, yeah, it was a patriotic time to say we need to go out and help them. But as hindsight 2020 comes into play, that more clarity doesn't mean there's a hatred for the country. No. Just that there's a deeper understanding of how we got here. And people get disillusioned with that. You know, right. we, we went into all these wars and things like that. This is not the kind of country that I want. So yeah, definitely those things make sense with the religion. We did a story previously on the podcast where younger people are turning more towards tarot cards, uh, crystals for their healing properties, uh, as opposed to traditional religion. Just those attitudes keep changing. It's just not your your parents' religion anymore. People live more spiritual lives. So a lot of that's changing. One of the interesting things that came out of this survey from NBC Wall Street Journal is that people are still angry. The last time that they did this, about five years ago, the majority of people said they were angry at the political and financial establishment. And that seems to have carried over. About 70% of people say they still feel that the political system seems to be only working for the insiders and people with money and power, which also when you hear the 2020 Democrats going out there on their stump speeches, that's what you're hearing from the likes of Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Elizabeth Warren. So that anger and that distrust of government kind of still always in there. Yeah. And I think that still goes back to us being in the most technological and most informed society probably anyone has ever had because what is on the news? It's not businessman does a good thing for someone. It's corruption. Opioid crisis is caused by certain companies. So even though there wasn't like anger because it was all over the place back then, that's still a consistent thing that's been going on and arguably more. There's still corruption and bad things going on. We're just more aware of it now. The way the news cycle is, sometimes it is hard to find a good story. That's why when a fun dog story pops up or something, people rush to those things because they love it. Or, you know, when something like Popeye's chicken is fighting with Chick-fil-A, people flock to those stories because it's different. It's not going to make you as angry as something else would. One of the other interesting things is that, you know, everybody talks about the economy. 69% of Americans say they are satisfied with their overall financial situation today. But 56% of people say they feel anxious and uncertain about the economy because it's rocky and unpredictable. Uh, obviously, you have to think of talks of trade wars, things like that, that make you feel something bad could happen in any moment. And when we look back in certain historical moments, the housing bubble, everyone was doing great in that economy before everything just exploded. And then people went bankrupt during that time. I, I keep going back to this sentiment that we have a greater awareness of where we've been and where we're going and what's going on now um, to where we don't take things for granted as much anymore. And so when there things are going well in the economy, we understand things can flip very quickly. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. There was a study that was done compared uh, whether women found men attractive when they were eating something that was spicy or whether they're eating something that was sweet and found that when women were eating spicy food, they were mo more likely to find a man attractive. So that might be an argument for um, choosing a, a restaurant that has uh, things a little bit more on the spicier side. Joining us now is Ben Healy, study of studies columnist at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Great to be here. We're going to be talking about some of the scientifically proven sources of sex appeal. 
I love what you did here. You went through a bunch of different studies related to attraction and you just connected a bunch of dots with this, what people wear on first dates, how facial hair figures into this, or maybe even scars figure into this. Uh, start us off, Ben, tell us what's going on with this. There's a lot of research that looks at kind of going back into like evolutionary grounds, how the symmetry of people's faces or even the waist to hip ratio of women, for example, might seem to offer like if you get with this person, that would be uh, evolutionarily beneficial. Um, so there's a lot kind of going back into that. I was also interested in a little bit more of the, you know, more unusual, slightly uh, more specific pieces. For example, there was one study that found that women who were looking for short term relationships were more attracted to men who had scars on their faces. But then there was another study that showed if women were looking for long-term relationships, they were more attracted uh, to men with beards. And that makes a little bit of sense. You know, a scar might denote uh, a guy, he's, he could be a bad boy or a danger level, <laughs> something like that, right? And if you want like a short-term fling, hey, that kind of makes sense. I know for a long time, there's been this thing about guys with beards and women do find that attractive. So that's why I try to let mine grow out at the end of the weekend. I'll try to let it uh, start piling up a little bit. But yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting look at it. Yeah. Well, and also, um, I mean, I confess to being a bearded man myself. So ah. it's uh, it's information that's also um, useful <laughs> and important to my life. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, one thing to note, though, is that a lot of this research, almost all research on attraction involves straight people. Yeah. And that's, you know, really based on what I found, I'm sure that there is, um, you know, a lot more research going into attraction of all kinds. But I think if you look back into the larger body of research, especially the older experiments, a lot of that was looking at how men are attracted to women or how women are attracted to men. So yeah, it should take all these uh, findings with a grain of salt that they're specifically in those situations and may not be universal for um, all types of right. relationships. All right, let's move on to the next thing. A lot of times people's signals get mixed up when it comes to men and women, and you don't know if you're getting a friendly signal or a sexual signal. There's a lot of studies related to that. Yeah. And, um, you know, also a lot of books and movies and songs about this topic, too. So it's obviously something that people have been preoccupied with for quite a while. One thing that in the studies that I found, it seemed like there was sort of a disconnect between men and women and opposite sex friendships, where women were more likely to interpret men's indications of sexual interest as an expression of friendliness. But at the same time, men would often mistake women's efforts to be friendly as indications of sexual interest. And men overall, um, not surprisingly, reported being more attracted to um, their friends of the opposite sex, whereas um, women were less attracted to their friends of the opposite sex and saw them um, just quite simply and sensibly as friends. I have a friend who uh, always tells me, he's like, I fall in love maybe like 10 times in a day or I have a, a 10 different crushes throughout the day. And it kind of, I was thinking of him when I was looking at, at this line right here and kind of misinterpreting some of those signs. OK, let's move on to another one. Other traits that people are looking for um, that um, are, are attractive to others. Uh, we know guys are very physical and, and into appearance, so that kind of factors into it as well. Based on the, the studies that I saw, it seemed that comparing what men find attractive about women versus what women find attractive about men, men had sort of a, a narrower and more consistent and more physically oriented sense of what was attractive about women than women did of men. And so... Um, Make of that what you will, but that, that did seem to be what the research was bearing out. And then let's say, okay, everybody, you meet somebody, the attraction is there, you get to that first date. What is everybody doing on the first date? What colors are they wearing and what are they eating? Yeah, well, no, that, that's interesting. There was a, another study that was done that looked at what people were wearing on, on their first dates and found that uh, red clothing and black clothing were overrepresented on first dates for both, both men and women. 
which was interesting. And related to that, people wearing red seems to make everyone more attractive. People found other people who were wearing red more attractive, but people also found themselves more attractive when they were wearing red. That makes sense, too, because, you know, black's a very flattering color. You know, that's why women have the little black dress. And obviously, if you feel attractive in a certain color, that's what you're going to want to wear. Red makes people pop. So those those all kind of make sense as well. And then what about what uh, what people are ordering when they go out to dinner? Yeah, I mean, that that was interesting, too. There was a a study that was done compared uh, whether women found men attractive when they were eating something that was spicy or whether they're eating something that was sweet and found that when women were eating spicy food, they were more likely to find a man attractive than than if they were eating something sweet. So, you know, I don't want to tell people how to live their lives, but (laughs) that might be an argument for, um, you know, choosing a a restaurant that has uh, things a little bit more on the spicier side. Right. Uh, That's pretty fun. I suggest everybody to go read your article and then look at all the footnotes because you actually uh, link up all of these different studies. So it's it's like kind of everything right in a bite-sized read. And then if you want to go deeper and do the dive there, you can definitely do that. Ben Healy, Study of Studies columnist at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Especially you don't want your wedding to look like everybody else's, all of your friends, if you're getting married around the same time. So a lot of these companies are especially helping couples who feel like they're not really good writers. They don't want to get up there in front of everyone and not sound because they have the ideas. They know what they want to say to their partner, but they just need the words for it. Joining us now is Fleming Smith, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Fleming. Of course. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about some uh, some weddings and how a lot of young couples are really looking for something different. They don't want a traditional wedding ceremony, maybe something that their parents might have had. And they're especially when it comes to writing their wedding vows, it's kind of a funny thing. I, you would never think of something like this, but people are actually outsourcing the <laughs> the writing of these wedding vows and having consultants help them with this. Talk to us about how weddings are becoming less traditional. So in my research, I found that a lot of couples, especially couples who maybe were raised with a religious tradition but are kind of getting away from that, you're seeing a decrease in religious affiliation and in general just ties to institutions that kind of defined for us what a wedding should look like, what it should have. So those couples now have to look for other traditions, have to make up their own traditions. And you also see a lot of people, especially millennials, who are about 80% of couples getting married today, who are getting married later in their life, maybe 30 to 35 years old. And so instead of being at the beginning of their adulthood, they're kind of well into that. And the traditions that maybe would have applied to them when they were younger just don't apply anymore. And one thing you mentioned that couples are getting married later in life. Money is always an issue for, you know, whether Mm -hmm. you're young and, and going big or whether you're a little older and you're a little more money conscious and you're like, well, you know, we don't need to spend so much on this anymore. We can do it a a different way. And that's another uh, angle that kind of impacts how people are trying to organize their weddings. As you said, there was this whole traditional arm of it and that's kind of sets the basis for what a lot of people thought a wedding was. But as people tend to lose those religious affiliations, they're creating these things from scratch. Right. One couple I talked to had a fun wedding where they got married on a ferry ride in New York City. 
really low cost. They were just paying for the ferry fare, which was like two seventy five per person for yeah. about 40 guests or so. They got married in seven minutes. This is something they <laughs> planned that. over the course of like three weeks, but they had a blast. They really enjoyed it. And this was a couple that already had a child, had been dating for years. So I think they felt like, hey, we want to celebrate our relationship. It makes financial sense for us at this time, but we're not going to go all blowout because it just it isn't necessary for us at this point in our lives. Tell us about this whole, uh, these consulting agencies that are writing vows, helping people write vows. 44% of couples wrote their own vows in 2018, which is up Mm -hmm. from 36% in 2016. Talk to us about how these companies are taking advantage of this. Well, I think a lot more couples are writing their own vows, especially like if you don't want a pre-written ceremony, um, just pre-written vows, you want something that's more personal to you. And I think that's something we really identify with millennials who are more about what's individual, what's true to myself and to my partner. And so, yeah, you do have these companies who are kind of realizing that there's this opening in the market for a lot of couples, especially who they want something unique. They want something that you can't just get anywhere else, especially a lot of couples don't want a boring ceremony or boring vows. Totally. I got married Mm -hmm. about four years ago, and that was one of the recurring topics that we kept saying. We're like, well, we don't want to make it boring. We don't want people to be bored (laughs) or, you know, rolling their eyes in the aisles and things like that. It's like that's Mm -hmm. you, you want to have you want everybody to have a fun experience. Yeah. And I think especially if you're thinking of a wedding sometimes as a performance, something that's going to go on social media, you especially don't want your wedding to look like everybody else's, all of your friends, if you're getting married around the same time. So a lot of these companies are especially helping couples who feel like they're not really good writers. They don't want to get up there in front of everyone and not sound because they have the ideas. They know what they want to say to their partner, but they just need the words for it. One of the companies you spoke to, the name of it is called Vow Muse. They're based out of California. And the childhood mm-hmm. friends that started it said they wanted to do it after they noticed a lot of bad writing in the wedding ceremonies <laughs> that they attended. So, but, but you're right. A lot of us do have the sentiment and the feeling that we want to portray, but the words are hard right. to come by. Okay, so just briefly, in the people that you have talked to, give us some tips. I know there's a lot of people that are always you know, in the <laughs> process of getting married and they might need some help. Give us a a few tips on giving a speech or even these vows that uh, you got to come up with. Right. Well, something that came up a lot with the vows when I was talking to couples and consultants is don't always make those always or never promises that you might not be able to keep. Uh, one example is, oh, I'll never go to bed angry. Right. You probably will. Oh, it's going to happen. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't want a lot of couples. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to make yourself a liar on the first day right away say things that are true to you that you're not just kind of trying to repeat from what you've heard elsewhere. And within that, um, don't gloss over the difficult times. If you had hard times in your relationship or in your life that a partner really helped you through, go through that. Um, It's kind of a chance to share the story of your relationship. And within that, some um, other lighthearted things. Don't make fun of your partner. I think that was something that came up a lot. And I think a lot of, Um, I think a lot of couples get into that mode and they're very comfortable doing that, but maybe on a big day like that, maybe, maybe not so appropriate. Right. And I think people kind of go back and forth or, Oh, should it be funny? Should it be heartfelt? I think it can be both. But um, a lot of times couples said, Hey, don't go overboard. Don't try to be too funny. It's not, you know, comedy hour. And I think too, within that, just don't use inside jokes or anecdotes. The audience wouldn't know is something that people emphasize because it's about you. It's about your partner, but it's also about the audience who you want to really enjoy the ceremony. Fleming Smith, reporter at the wall street journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media. 
at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.